Thanks for tuning in to the Middle School Ministry Podcast for Cornerstone Chapel. Let's head into the service and see what Pastor Turner has to share this week. Hey, uh, let's open up our Bibles. If you're in the Black Bibles, it's John chapter 8, page 757. If you're in your own Bible, it's John chapter 8, verse 12 is where we're going to start this morning. John chapter 8, verse 12. Uh, last week, in John chapter 8, the beginning, verses 1 through 12 or through 11, it was the woman who was brought to Jesus caught in adultery. And uh, Jesus uh, it basically doesn't say a word to those that are bringing her to condemn her. And he simply kneels down and writes in the dust something. And then one by one, his acu- the, her accusers leave her. Uh, the only thing that he does say is, you without any sin, throw the first stone. Basically, uh, you know, if you've got an accusation and you're innocent, then you go ahead and cast that stone. In other words, nobody is innocent when it comes to the Lord. We are all guilty. And we actually learned from that story that we are much like that woman bought, brought to Jesus who was caught in adultery. He actually affirms that she was, you know, he confirms that she was in some sort of sin because at the end he says, where are your, those that condemn you? And, and she says, they're nowhere to be found. And he says, neither do I. Leave your life, go and leave your life of sin. So we know that he affirmed that she was in some kind of sin. She was doing something wrong, but that we are like that adulteress. We are we are all caught in some sort of sin. There's something in our lives that is an offense to the Lord. Every single one of us, none of us are excluded from that. And we need to find ourselves at the feet of Jesus, letting him be the one that defends us. We need to bring everything to him. And just like her, thrust at the feet of Jesus to where he can defend us. He can stand us up. He can forgive us. And that's where we need to find ourselves because we need that. We all need that. None of us are innocent. Now we move on into verse 12, and we're going to read through to verse 30. So let's read, I'll pray, and then we'll get into the Bible study. So starting in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? Do you, not, you do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. 
uh, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say uh, in judgment to you. But he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him, I, would, I, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was uh, telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. And I do nothing on my own, but speak just as the Father taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word this morning, the time of worship. We thank you that, Lord, uh, it seems that spring is around the corner, Lord, with this warmer weather, and we're grateful for that, Lord, and we'll gladly receive warmer weather, Lord Jesus. But today, here we are in this church, in this room, and we're going to study your word. And so, Father, we ask that you'd open our hearts, that you would uh, help us this morning by teaching us through your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would illuminate how you do with your word, Lord God, into our hearts and lives, and that, Lord, you would bring us closer to you today, that this would be a day when we can truly say, I know you a little bit more. And so, Father, we need your Holy Spirit to do that work in our lives, and so we invite you here, we ask for you to be here, and to show yourself uh, true in that way, Father, this morning. Help us, help me as I teach even, Lord God. And so, Father, we invite you, we thank you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Many times when Jesus would start a conversation with someone, he would start off with a specific statement, which would lead to a dialogue between between him and whoever it is he's speaking to, which would slowly reveal other things uh, through the course of the conversation. Uh, And oftentimes it would be sort of like he would make this statement, it would be this bold statement that would be confusing, and then he would enter into dialogue trying to show them what he meant in in his statement when he opened it up. And that is exactly what's happening here in this case right now. And so what we're going to do is instead of starting in verse 12 and working our way through to verse 30 through the text, we're going to work our way from the back to the beginning. And we're going to end on what the point is that I want to share with you ultimately. And so let's start there in actually in verses 28 and 29. Jesus is speaking to them again. And he says, says, uh, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and then I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. The first point that I want to bring out is that Jesus is perfect in obedience. He's perfect in his obedience. And when you look here at what he says there, it says in verse 28 that when you have lifted up the Son of Man... Uh, many people uh, read that and they wrongly believe that this means that, hey, when, when Jesus is lifted up, when he's worshipped, when he's exalted as a king. But that's not what Jesus was talking about here, right, right here. He was talking about when he would be lifted up on a cross, when he would be lifted up for the whole world to look at and to scorn and to be rejected because of sin. He was having the sin of the world to be cast upon him. And he would be nailed to a cross, lifted up. Moses said a similar thing when he talked about the serpent being lifted up in the desert for people to look upon. And that's where we get the, the uh, image of our medical. You guys remember the, the medical sign with the, the serpents? You've seen that? Okay, this is an image that was uh, brought forth by Moses. It was really foretelling Jesus dying on the cross because the serpent is I- indicative of sin being uh, put on a bronze a cross that they lifted up. The bronze cross was, bronze is representative of sin. 
and, uh, and it was lifted up. And anyone who looked upon this cross in the desert, when Moses lifted it up, they were actually cured from the poison of the snake and the vipers that were stinging them and biting them because of their rebellion. It was, it was totally foreshadowing the cross, how when Jesus dies on the cross, anyone who looks upon him for salvation, their sins will be forgiven. The sting of death will be uh, ended because new life that's eternal will be found in being born again because your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus was saying that when I'm lifted up, when the Son of Man is lifted up, now that only came through perfect obedience, because if Jesus wasn't perfect 100%, then he would not be qualified to be the sacrifice that would be approved by God. And the only way for him to be uh, approved as a sacrifice for, approved by God, which would remove sin from the world, was to be perfect and without sin himself. He had to be without blemish, without stain. He lived a perfect life. Now, this is exciting for you, and it should be if it's not, and I'll help you understand why it should be, because you and I can never be perfect, We can never be perfect. We can never perfectly obey every commandment found in the Bible. It'd be impossible. The reason is, is that we are sinful creatures. We're broken. We're fallen. We have a nature that is sinful, that doesn't want to do the things that please God. Left to yourself, you're going to do things that are are in rebellion to God. Trust me, you will. How many times have you started off and say, God, I'm going to make this my best day ever. I'm going to just live for you 100%. I'm going to, I'm going to speak for you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to make this day a great day. And then like 20 minutes later, you're like repenting because you did something wrong, right? You ever been there? I've been there. Yeah, I've been there. We are incapable of being perfect in obedience, Jesus did that for us, and he was perfect in obedience to the Father. It says that um, Philippians tells us that he was obedient to the Father even to death, unto death, death on a cross, meaning that it pleased the Father to do this to him. It pleased the Father to put him on a cross. It pleased the Father to crucify Jesus, to, to actually handle the sin issue with humanity. And he did that because he loves you and he loves me. God loves you. He loves me incredibly, more than you can imagine. And so he would be willing to not spare his own son so that you and I could have the opportunity to know him personally through Jesus' death on the cross. In verses 23 and 24, it says, if you do not believe that I am, uh, that believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And I love what Psalms 51.5 says. It says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from my mother, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The psalmist was writing and saying that, look, we're born into sin. Listen, you, you are brought into this world on the wrong foot. You are brought into this world on the wrong side of the bed, if you will, getting into this whole thing called life. We're born separated from God. Spiritually, we are not one with God. We are not his ch- 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 adopted children. My tongue is tied up. I, must, I need another hour of sleep really bad. We're not born that way. We're separated because of our sin. But God cured it when he put Jesus on the cross. He cured, he gave us the remedy, the remedy for the sin through Jesus' blood. And so he did that for us and we're born into it and yet there's still a way out of it and it's called being born again, a second life. The second thing that Jesus shows us is that First, he's perfect in obedience, but secondly, he shows us that the fa- that he shows us the Father. Look at verse nineteen. Then they said to him, "Where is your Father?" Jesus said. They asked him clearly. 
And he says, you do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. This plays perfect into why God put him on a cross. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. God the Father is unapproachable. We cannot see him with our own eyes here on earth. We will see him when we get to heaven. But the course in which we travel to get to see him is through Jesus, his son. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, his life, the way that he lived, the things that he said, the things that he did were all directly downloaded from God the Father. Every word that Jesus said was literally what God would want him to say. He never said anything that wasn't pleasing to the Lord or wasn't anything that the Lord had inspired him to say. He never had like an un, oh, oh, one of those conversations where he walked away and he was like, oh, why did I say that? Oh, man. Have you guys ever done that? You ever, you guys' mouth ever gotten you into trouble at all? Yeah. yeah, I know it has, right? We're all in middle school, or you guys are all in middle school. I know that I have a middle schooler. Our mouths get us in trouble. And trust me, when you get older, it doesn't change any, and it just gets you in more trouble, like bigger trouble uh, when you get older. But the reality is Jesus never said anything that would have gotten him in trouble. He never said anything that was contrary to what was perfectly acceptable to the Lord, to the Father. Jesus shows us the Father. He brings us into an understanding of the Father. Like I said before, it pleased the Father to put him on the cross. In other words, God's heart was for you. He was for me to know him. It was God's desire, the Father's desire to, for you to know him. He did that through Jesus. This is important for you to understand because many people look at Jesus hanging on the cross and they say, wow, what a cruel father that was to do that. Why would he be so cruel? Listen, it was the only course that he had as an option. And he loved you so much, he wasn't willing to spare even his son. Now the good news is, is that Jesus rose from the dead and he's living today. And we live through him in relation to the father. But it had to go to that level in order to be dealt with at its core, which is the heart, and you're born that way, and it's a new life, it's a spiritual life. Which leads me to the third aspect of Jesus and the Father, is that Jesus is affirmed by the Father. Looking back at verses 16 through 18, it says, If I, if I do judge, my decisions are right, because I am, I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that a testimony of two men is valid. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. The Father led Jesus in every way. I already told you that he gave him every word that he spoke. Everything that he did was led by the Father. And according to Jewish law, when you brought a testimony about something, it was not valid until you had a witness to that testimony. Let me give you an example. If Say you were in court and someone brought an accusation against you saying that you, you know, stole something from them. Uh, they can have the accusation. They can have all of the things in place. But if they don't have a witness to that, then the, the testimony is not valid. And so it was, a, it was a system set in place to try and preserve um, you know, people from being falsely accused. And so when you had the testimony of one or two people, um, then it validated the testimony and it helped them to understand the case better and to make better judgment, make better judgment on whether it was right or whether it was wrong. And so they listen to what Jesus is saying. He's testifying about himself. He's saying he's the light of the world. He's God's son. He's approved of by God the Father. And they're like, well, 
first of all, who's your father? And second of all, where, your testimony is invalid. And Jesus says very clearly, look, my testimony is not invalid. I've got my testimony, and then I also have the father who affirms me. He basically said, God, the father is the one that set this in place. He's the one that testifies alongside of me. That's the one you want. If you want anyone on your side, you want God the Father on your side, right? If you want anyone on your side for anything you do, you want God on your side, don't you? Pity the person who tries to work against God. It's a, it's a losing proposition. You can't defeat God. You can't win against God. You can be deceived in your mind and think, oh, I've got this. I can handle this. I, don't, I can pull one over on God. Mm-mm. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. You know that our hearts are laid bare before the Lord. He sees everything. He says that he knows so much about you that he knows your thoughts. He knows your words before you speak them, before they come off your tongue. God knows every single thing. Nothing's hidden from him. Nothing is hidden from him. You ever lose your keys? My little daughter, Sammy, on Christmas Day, we gave her this little tiny um, iPod shuffle for Christmas. She lost it within two hours of opening it. We tore our house to pieces looking for that iPod shuffle. She cried. I got upset. I'm like, great. That's like 50 bucks down the drain, right? Jesus knows where that iPod shuffle is. He knows exactly where it is right now. And if he wanted me to know, he could tell me, I guess. (laughs) But lesson learned, (laughs) nothing's lost with the Lord. He knows where everything is. He knows every thought. He knows every word before it's spoken. He's completely sovereign over every single atomic particle, every single second of every single moment of every day that ever has been, ever will be, or ever is. That's how sovereign God is, how incredible he is. Jesus had a testimony, and he was affirmed by the Father. Jesus was speaking on behalf of the Father, by the will of the Father, and the Father was testifying to it. How do you know that the Father was affirming it? So what if he says God's with them? Well, look at the things he did. Jesus performed miracles. He performed miracles that only God the Father could permit. Healing of, the, of those that were lame and sick, raising the dead, casting demons out of people, walking on water, feeding thousands of people with just a few loaves and some fish. The things that he did showed that God the Father was with him. In fact, later on in Scripture, we see that when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he's like, hey, look, if you don't believe on me, that's fine, but at least believe on me for what I've done. I've performed miracles that no one else could ever do. God the Father was with Jesus. He affirmed Jesus. He affirmed the things he was doing. So it wasn't that Jesus was showing us the Father, but he was also showing us that Father was with him. And then this brings me to our last point, which we're going to spend a couple minutes on this. Jesus opens up by saying he is the light of the world. He opens up this whole discourse by saying that he is the light of the world. Look at verse 12. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I was interested in in this understanding what uh, the light of life is and all that. In fact, in John chapter one, the very first chapter of this gospel of John, he opens up by saying, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness for us. We're told that his word is a lamp unto our feet. 
So his word illuminates God's heart and desire and how we should live. His word, his word illuminates how the course of our action of how we should live our lives, the direction we should be going. It helps us to know him. But then I was thinking about blindness for a minute because these Pharisees that he's talking to were utterly blind. Now listen, you can close your eyes and you can still perceive light. Um, in the first service, before the first service, we were out back here praying. And as I was praying, I was kind of looking up at the sun, just enjoying the warmth of it. And I noticed that it wasn't black, but it was yet a, kind of an orangish, reddish hue as my eyes were closed when I was looking at the sun. Do you know why that was? Because the sun was shining, my eyelids have blood coursing through them, and that was the blood. I was actually seeing the blood in my eyelids. It's gross, I know, but that's the reality. Blindness, there, is a, there are different degrees of blindness. There are people that wear glasses that are legally blind. In other words, if they had their glasses off, they, weren't, they wouldn't be allowed to drive a car because they would just like run into, into stuff and all kinds of You may know someone like that that's legally blind. But then there is a blindness that can't even perceive light. It's, it actually has a, a medical term. It's called NLP. It means no light perception. It's the deepest type of blindness that a person can have. And you could have NLP and open your eyes and stare at the sun, and you would not be able to perceive any light whatsoever. I believe that spiritually this is the condition of anyone before they know the Lord. They have no ability to see the light, no ability to understand it, no ability to perceive even where it is. You could say, look at the sun. They'd be like, where's the sun? And they're like, it's up, up. <laughs> okay, it all looks the same to me. It would be, uh, I don't know if any of, any of you guys have ever been to uh, Luray Caverns. Raise your hand. If you ever go to Luray Caverns and you go into the deepest part of the caverns, they take and they start talking to you about the stalactites and stalagmites and all these different things and the, how they're formed and all this and how they discovered the cave. And then they do this moment where they turn off the lights for like a minute. And you wait for your eyes to adjust. And your eyes adjust, but you cannot see your hand in front of your face. There is absolutely zero light down in the bottom of this cave. Zero light. It's kind of freaky. That's the condition of us spiritually before we know the Lord. That's, a, that's the condition of us spiritually, anyone, before they know the Lord. But Jesus is a light that pierces through that darkness and gives us light to be able to see, to show us the truth, to show us the way. Now, there's two different things about these Pharisees that remind me of the world, because in verse 13, it says, they challenge him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. They begin to challenge Jesus on who he is and what he says. And the world does the same thing about God. They do the same thing about Jesus in particular. For instance, the world tells us that uh, you know, Jesus is a light. But if you read verse 12, it says he is the light. Jesus is the light. There are many different uh, views on how to get to heaven out there in the world today. Um, some would say that uh, there are many roads that lead to heaven. You guys have probably heard that before. Or they say, yeah, Jesus is cool. He's one way to get to heaven. But what about Buddhism? What about Islam? What about New Age yoga? You know, these things are a source of light, right? I mean, they're a, a way. They're a way, but they're not the way. And let me tell you the way they're going. They're not going the way. They're going the wrong way. They're a way, all right, but they're a wrong way. Jesus narrowed it down for us. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he's the light. 
The problem is, is that people look, they're looking spiritually blind to try and find a way. It's as though you were to take two blind people and you put them out on Route 7 and you say to them, okay, make your way to Washington, D.C. Go on, do it. You could come back a week later and they might be in West Virginia. They don't know which way to go. They don't know landmarks. They can't see, they can't tell. It's blind leading the blind. They have absolutely no way of knowing the real truth because they are in utter darkness. Listen to what 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says. Paul wrote this. He says, And no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Listen, this is what Paul says. Satan masquerades. Now that word masquerades is interesting. You guys are familiar with like old movies and like um, you always have masquerade parties like in those like, uh, you know, kings and queens would always have masquerade parties and you see like, the Dutch, you know, the Duchess would come up. She has a little mask and she's like, hello. And he's like, hello, you know, and he's got his mask and you can't really tell who's who and they're talking, you know, in conversation and then they're like, surprise, it's me. And they're like, oh, you know, and there's like this masquerade, right? I know, I totally embellished that whole thing. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's a deception. It's a covering to hide the reality that is really there. Satan masquerades himself. He doesn't want to reveal himself that he's the prince of darkness, I mean, who's going to fall for that? He comes to you, <laughs> hey, how you doing, kid? You know, I'm Satan, Prince of Darkness, right? You're going to be like, get away. No, thanks. But he masquerades himself. Now, I know when you read this, you think that he's going to show up in your bedroom and he's like, Ooh, you know, glowing and floating like an angel. Hey, I have a message for you. You know, no. Listen to what it says there. Because that word, it says that he masquerades, so he's deceiving, and he... He masquerades as an angel of light. Now, that word angel literally is translated messenger. So you could, be, you could reread that as he deceives you as a messenger of light. In other words, he doesn't have any light whatsoever to bring to you. He just says, hey, have you considered yoga? That's a way. That's spiritual. It's enlightening. Almost like friendly. Hey, have you considered Islam? I know it's crazy and they're killing people because they don't believe in it, but you know, there's truth. Listen, there's one truth, one life. One light. The world says that there's many ways, but Jesus said there's one way. One way. He masquerades as an angel of light, a messenger of light, but yet he has darkness in him. He has no light to give. The second way that the Pharisees are like the world is that the world question the very things that Jesus says. Have you ever met someone that says, God just loves everybody? He's just going to let everybody into heaven. God is love, right? God is love. That's what the Bible says. And they do stuff like that. They try and use the Bible against you know, what truth is, but they don't take it in context and they don't take the whole truth. They just take like a piece of it and they try and use it for their own to prop up their own belief. Rather than saying, let's look at what the whole thing says and let's change what I believe to what the Bible says and then I'll know the truth in the reality. Have you ever heard people say that? God just loves everybody. I think everybody's gonna go to heaven. Why would God's love? Why? There's actually churches that are teaching that, that you, know, you don't need to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior to go to heaven. Just believe in God and you'll be okay because God's love and he loves you. I'm sorry, they need to go back and read John 8 because John said to them, listen, unless you believe the right way, you're gonna die in your sins. Our sins separate us from God. They are an offense to the living God. They need to be dealt with. Jesus took it for you and for me. 
It's a gift. We don't want to abuse it. But there's a light shining in the darkness, in the depths of the darkness of your own hearts and your own minds if you have not confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. This morning, it's shining towards you saying, hey, it's here. This is the truth. It's like a beacon calling out to those that are lost. And it gives them a glimpse. And the light is so intense and powerful that it can pierce the blindness. It's the only thing that can pierce the blindness, causing it to see. The problem is, is some people in the world, they come around Christians, and as they're around Christians, we're a light illuminating the gospel truth, and God wants to use us as a light to him, the light. And so people come around us, and they have glimpses of the, the light of the truth, and they see it for a moment. But you have to ultimately come to that decision, which is the choice is yours. Do you choose the route that God has provided for you to know him? And that's through Jesus alone. Do you choose it this morning? It's there for you. It's there for me. And it's free. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you. If you know the Lord already as your Savior, praise Him. That's great. But I want you to be encouraged to remain in the light as He is in the light. That you might not sin against Him. Remain in it. But if you've never accepted Him, The light's shining right now, this very moment. And I believe that this may be the day that you can turn your heart to Him and give your life to Him and receive the free gift of salvation. So let's pray.